I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. TF3. Today, just one other three, uh, but Kristen regularly subs in, so you know his voice. Chris, you're out in New York. How's it going? It's very good, my friend. It's very good indeed. Yeah. Uh, you, you're coppering. What, how's that? It's really interesting. It's, it's a totally different culture to what I'm used to. So there's nuances that you pick up on the South American end when you see the players from Ecuador and things like that. There's also nuances you pick up from watching games in an American setting at things like MetLife Stadium. Yeah. It is a real learning experience for me in, in a lot of ways because, again, uh, the press boxes that I'm sharing, a lot of the people, are, to be very honest with you, are more informed than me. They have more of a, an understanding really? of the situation. Of, of CONCACAF, uh, you mean? No, not even entirely of CONCACAF. So, for example, you know, Tim Vickery was there the other night. Yep. And the, the man is the, I would say the go-to person for, for Brazilian football. Yeah. When you're sharing the room with someone like that and you talk to them about Brazil, there's no way you're going to know more. There's no way, arguably, you can, can even match the level that they've got. So you're, you're learning so much. And I would say for me personally, even though I've come here to, to cover the tournament, I would say I'm learning as much. And in that sense, I like to think that the people at Yahoo Sport who are engaging with our stuff, they're hopefully learning as well and, and hopefully... I'm conveying it in a way that's easy to understand for, for someone who's just taking it in themselves. What's been a highlight for you so far? That's a brilliant question. I, I would say personally for me, talking to the Haiti players. Um, because so much of this tournament is about football, as you can understand, and, and Brazil and Uruguay and their struggles, that's fine. The Haiti players, for the most part, have been through something totally different. Yeah. The, the earthquake, the scars of that are still there. The, the rebuild isn't complete. And in some ways, I, I feel very sorry for them because no sooner have you talked about the football, the conversation naturally kind of meanders towards that situation. And, and it was something I talked to the, the players about as well. And you could see a disappointment on their face at how they'd performed at this tournament. Even though they were totally unfavored, they were still disappointed that they hadn't been able to do better. And I, I had one moment with a chap called James Marson where I actually said once I finished interviewing I think you can be really proud of the way you played. I thought you played really well. It was a very humanizing moment between a player that I've never really crossed that, that boundary before and, and spoken to a player in that way. And yeah. yet you see the way he talks about his home with such honesty but also passion. There's nothing cliche or, or fake about the way he talks about that situation. There. And the appreciation he has for the fact that football's given him a life outside of the country and that it's, it's taken him away from what was a, a difficult situation. 
Mm. It is, there are a lot of parallels between countries that are recovering from other, other things right now and uh, Haiti, but Haiti is a very unique situation, and especially politically as well, and obviously uh, everything that's happened over there. I think it's, with these kind of things, it is the kind of thing where it almost feels like uh, the press need to get it out of their system. They need to cover the certain aspects of it in order to almost flush it out and to raise awareness, and then it sort of gets to a point where you can begin to tell the more detailed stories. Um, and you sort of get that feeling with countries like Albania and obviously with what's going on with Jihad and Shikiri at the moment, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, there's, there are sort of parallels in that, you know, uh, people having to, people being taken out of their homes for different reasons or, um, you know, all sorts of political and socioeconomic issues. Um, it's interesting to see how people are discovering those in both tournaments. Definitely. I, I think the thing is as well, you never want to feel like you're exploiting their experiences. You, yeah, you I think that's very key, isn't it? Because at the moment, it does feel it can obviously feel quite exploitative from a journalistic side. You, you always want to feel like you're telling their story and and not regurgitating it. Yeah, and it, that was something. And I listened back, obviously, to the audio that I noticed when I asked the questions about home. I can hear a nervousness in my own voice because I don't want to offend. Mm. In fact, there was an instance where I asked one of the players in French if they spoke English and I got quite a, an aggressive response. And I apologized profusely then for saying, look, I, I didn't want to assume. It's it's that kind of... Yeah, yeah. You, you want to give them the respect that not only deserve as professional athletes, but as people as well. Mm. You don't want to trivialize their situation by saying, oh, this is a great line to take from it. If anything, and, and I was talking to my, my girlfriend about this when I was doing the story right, the other yeah. night, <laughs> I was saying, you know, I actually want to tell people the story and actually make people realize that just because the situation has ended in our consciousness in, in Europe, that doesn't mean that it's over. Because when I was looking up the death toll, which is a, a very grim thing to do, there was a lot of ambiguity about the final death toll. In fact, there was even reports that I had read in, in some US sites that said they had exaggerated it slightly to make sure that donations kept coming in because they just needed the money to rebuild. And mm. it's things like that where you find yourself so far away from the football pitch, yet at the same time you also feel so close to it in the same instance. And it's it's a curious and and part of me doesn't want to say interesting because of the way that sounds, but it's a new pathway to explore. And And that for me has been an overall theme of the tournament is that for me, it's been about exploring new pathways with this. And that's been exciting in so many different ways that I, I can't really convey in words. Mm. Um, well, then let, let's sort of transition that into the first of uh, the fascinating stories at this tournament. And uh, a side who was sort of punching above their weight tonight, France and Albania played in the last game, which obviously finished 2-0 to France against Albania. But Chris, that's not the whole story. It was probably one of the best games of the tournament so far because tactically we had a side who almost had an embarrassment of riches against a side who was really sort of brought together by a really incredible sense of togetherness, I think, tonight from the Albania fans and the guys out on the pitch. Definitely. I think what you had is... Uh, a battle in a situation that is as old as football is it it's a side that wants to defend and wants to keep a clean sheet first before they even try and score and there is a lot of people who i imagine will lament albania for that approach i also see exactly why they do it it's 
this is one of the beauties about football is that no one can tell you how to play it. It's entirely up to your interpretation. You can start with three at the back, five at the back, six at the back. In the case of Bolivia the other night against Argentina, if you really want to. That went well. Well, this is the thing. They they had a man marking Messi, the number four. And (laughs) funny enough, he was nominated as the man of the match for Bolivia. Wow, okay. So, so it's it's that ability to interpret it in, ever, in any way you want is, for me, what makes it so beautiful. And yet we see the struggle of France. We, I, again, it's it's one of those things where I think now we're we're a lot more conscious of the mental toll that this game takes on players. And you can see the pressure and the stress in the French players as the nil-nil result ticks closer to being final. Yeah, it's it's such a curious situation for them to be in because again. The entire nation expects them to win. There's not a hope that they win. It's it's not like let's say Austria when they hosted it. It's an expectation with France, and that in itself is a very difficult thing to to manage. And yes, they get the result in the end. I think in that sense, you look at the story and say it's a sharp meander from what I imagine most of our colleagues were writing at the time yeah. before that Griezmann goal goes in, because now you can say. Okay, France have shown a little bit of versatility in the way they can play and get results, and that actually they can be those clutch players. If Griezmann's header goes wide, if Pierre's shot goes wide, you're writing about the fact that they looked limited or they looked easily stifled by a team in Albania that, again, while defensively sound, should be penetrable. I, well, I, that was what I found interesting. Was actually I thought Albania create. I mean, Albania hit um, the woodwork as much as France did in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. They they led some really very buccaneering counter-attacks at times and there were times where they were controlling the possession when France not only when France wanted a break but also when Albania were playing themselves in I think ultimately it was sort of the the difference in sort of level of conditioning of the two players which told in this one because when you saw the players legs begin to go France were killer and just stepped in and you know kind of beat their way through exactly I mean Christian Carambeau, I was watching the, the ITV feed for this and, and flicking between that and ESPN. And Christian Carambeau made the point that when Albania lost one of its central defenders towards the end, that did kind of change things. And it's, I, I think the, the point to, to look at that a bit deeper, it's that notion of you build a momentum, I think, as a defensive side, as a unit. You, you build, albeit of an easily disrupted, but you do build a togetherness and an understanding in that moment, in that match. And the second you sub someone in on that, Yes, they're fresh physically, but you could argue they're not fresh mentally because they haven't been able yeah. to build up that same momentum. And yeah. in some ways, I do feel sorry for Albania because I, I kind of hope that they could snatch something just for the, the sake of the tournament, just to make it a little bit interesting. Nil um, nil would have been snatching something, essentially, in this game. Exactly. I, I think the Albanian issue is one that a number of, of pundits and such like have touched on. It's the lack of goals. Their forward line has, I think, 8 and 71 at international level. Yeah. It's it's not good enough. I mean, you look at Gashi, who, who I believe stayed on the bench today. Mm-hmm. He had a really good record for Basel, but I spoke to someone who, who covers them uh, regularly, and he said that really he's a confidence player and he's a momentum player. And in Colorado, he's not been as, I would say, proficient in front of goal as he was at Basel. Um, he struggled at times. It's, it's a respectable return at this point, but not... DP caliber let's say and things like that again for a team that I think sits on such a fine line in an attacking sense like Albania that's going to hurt you it's going to impact you and it's no great surprise to see that they've they've played these two games now and, and not been able to find the net in either 
And obviously that, that result takes France through a huge sense of relief, but never really a sense of resignation, I think, around the stadium. Just more, a bit more frustration, really, that they weren't blowing this team away. But I think there's a huge sense of respect for what Albania have done. It would be very difficult for Albania to get through, but they obviously do have a chance in their final group game. Um, France now sit top of that group on six points, uh, just, and I mean just, ahead of Switzerland on four points. Uh, obviously that, that final game now cannot go down to the point where they need to play each other on penalties. Um, but, I mean, Chris, that, that's where we go back to the previous uh, result of the day, where Romania played Switzerland, it was one all. And Switzerland, who I think would have expected to be in the ascendancy in this game, again weren't and had the carpet swept from under them in the same way, essentially, that France did by Romania. Exactly. And, the, you know, the, the thing is with, with Switzerland, we, we talk about their potential and things like this. And yet, today you read the story about Zerlan Shakiri and the fact that if Kosovo is willing to give him the captaincy, he's more than happy to switch allegiances. And I can't help but think, is that really the kind of character you want? That's what you see. That's exactly what I was thinking. Bigger. Yeah. Do you really do you do you want a guy who sort of goes, well, I'll come back now that I haven't succeeded here? It's it, it's almost it's almost like he's saying to Switzerland, show me that you really love me. Because he, the, he's the never felt that is, way, apparently, in Switzerland. I mean, you know, it's it's obviously it's very difficult to feel loved in the same way when it's quite clearly diaspora that sent you there. You know, he was born in Kosovo to a Kosovan family, etc. You can sort of sympathise a little bit. Yeah, I think I think you can. Uh, but it does, it does strike you as ego, doesn't it? Because of because of the way he's done it, essentially. It does. I think the the timing is is pretty much atrocious. Essentially, I think it was, uh, this was something which was also happening before the tournament. I get the feeling that he was asked about it um, and just gave the, the same answer. And that was sort of reiterated by the press. And I think a lot of people have jumped on that because it was, uh, I mean, what you would say is that it's poor, it's a poor answer on his part, isn't it? Because, you know, you, he could just say, we'll leave that for after the tournament, you know? No, he, he could. I, I think... When you getting look at, booed by the Switzerland fans, yeah. Yeah, but kind of see why. If I, if I'm, oh no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sort of defending him. I'm just, I just think it's uh, he sort of made a rub for his own back, if you like. No, I think, I think you, you're completely right in that. I think the the issue with them on the field though is they don't really look like a competent goal scoring side. Um, they have good components in there certainly I, I don't think anyone will say Shakiri's a poor player no I think it's a lot of pressure to put on someone like Brie Lombolo who's, who's still very young who's still finding his way and it in some in some respects it feels as if the timing of, of things is is quite bad I also think defensively Johan Giroud is, is still very much Johan Giroud in that sense um, it's it's a bit of a shame because again Switzerland represents so much potential but then when you kind of go a little bit under the surface, when you pull away the top layer, you say, hang on, why are they so highly rated? Because really, they've got a few decent individuals. There's nothing to suggest this is actually a team, though. If anything, I think they've regressed a little bit since Otmar Hitzfeld de departed the scene. I think he was very good at, at unifying the team in general. And that's now gone with his with his departure. Mm, I agree. Um, I mean, you could see that as well. At times that on the pitch, just, you know, the players not linking up particularly well. And I think also being hurried by, um, by, by the likes of Romania, who have played against two pretty well-ranked sides um, and gotten away with, well, I mean, unfortunately, they didn't against France, but got, got away with a point against Switzerland, which means they're still 
sort of in it at this point, Chris. I mean, Stanku with... Uh, with, with the goal early on, and then it took until the 57th minute for Switzerland to break Romania down, and, and that was due to a great strike um, by, I think it was Mamedi, uh, w- with a with a, an assist from Giroud. Uh, do, do, how do you see this group finishing? Do you still think it's uh, Switzerland second and France top? I think, I think it's Switzerland second if they can get that moment of individual brilliance again, because that, to me, is what Mamedi's goal is. It's it highlights almost what we just said there, the fact that there's some individuals in that team, undeniably. Not entirely convinced that there's a, a team brewing in there. Um, and equally, again, Albania, I can't see them changing approach um, drastically against Romania. That's who they have to play. Yes, Romania is who they have to play. Yeah, yeah, I, can't, I can't see them drastically changing their approach. So it, my, my gut is telling me it's Switzerland, largely because of those two factors, because I think... France will, will likely rest some players because, again, why would you risk starters when you know you're through to the next phase anyway? Yeah. And then equally, I can see Albania wanting to not only play for pride, but, again, why drastically change yeah. what you're, you're doing at this precise moment? Well, I mean, that's the issue. I think they did lack uh, Loixana tonight. Obviously, you had a terrible opening game um, and got sent off, but you know, no one would have been more upset than him. So I, th- I think going into that final match is going to be fascinating. It's a well-poised group for second, and obviously Albania will want to be in there on the off chance that third comes off, on the unlikely off chance that third comes off. Um, earlier on in the day, of course, there was uh, Russia, the darlings of the tournament, um, against Slovakia, uh, aside, who actually, Chris, I think, really flexed their muscle in this game, didn't they, with a 2-1 win? And some fantastic moments of individual brilliance aided by the fact that they were playing a pretty disparate Russia team. Yeah, I, part of me feels sorry for Slutsky because, again, he, yep. I, I sense national pride made him take this job over anything. He has a club job. He doesn't need this gig. Um, CSK, isn't he? I mean, it's, it's not like yeah. he's got a bad gig without wishing to sound like his agent, he doesn't need this job. Um, and and the, the team itself, again, it's it's on its bare bones. I said the other day that if if there was some decent runners off Artem Zuber, I think this Russia side could produce something at the minute that just isn't. And that in itself doesn't excuse what looked like quite a lethargic performance for good portions of this game. Yeah. Slovakia... Slovakia really, for me, produced what I had expected them to produce beforehand and they didn't produce so much against Wales, which was Hamzik being the, the fulcrum of everything, the, the centrepiece, and then around him getting these little flickers, as you said, little flickers of quality from the likes of Vlad Weiss, Robert Mack, players who maybe aren't consistent enough to be at top clubs but still have a little something about them to, to do something now and again. I think that's a great thing at this sort of tournament, isn't it, is the way these guys are playing together is sort of... It's obviously. I think. I think what it is proving is that it's not just about having just the top class players. There really is. There's a system in there, but you can't really count this as a litmus test because this Russia side, well, there were just some massive gaping holes in there, and they only. They really looked like the F2 going down the other end. All they wanted to do was sort of do tricks and see if it goes in top bins. I, I do. I do think Russia should have started Golovin in a more advanced role. Um, sure. I, again, from what I've seen of him, from what I've been able to, to read from, from the people that, that know more than myself, he is a very handy player and he's certainly got a bright future in the game. <sighs> again, it, it, 
it's that difficulty that I think this Russian generation just needs phasing out. It's it's a a lot of the players in the key positions are at the end of their tenure with the national team, and it's it's that awkward position of you don't really have the young players I think to come in and fill the roles right now. So you go with what is reliable. You go with what's been trusted. There's very few national teams. I think Portugal is perhaps one of them who is really kind of going for that approach of let's give the kids a chance. Let's really go for a young team here. You've got Sanchez, who I think is the, the youngest player to represent them at a tournament since Ronaldo in 2004. You've got uh, Gomez. You've got Danilo, who's 24. There's only in the midfield, I think, Moutinho, who's got more than 20-odd caps. He's on 80-something now, 84, 85. But again, he's, he's experienced. Um, I, I just I can't see the future for Russia. That's the thing. I, I don't but know where it goes. It's sort of up from. in the air, isn't it? Because they don't they don't necessarily have a long term coach right now. Ex- exactly. I mean, it's from what I've been able to to see. The general consensus is Slutsky goes after the tournament. Then you have to have someone come in. There are still also the repercussions of Fabio Capello's tenure from a financial perspective, in the sense that his and we had a chat about this. You and I, his uh, settlement nearly bankrupted them. Mm. Now, it would seems with hindsight, quite irresponsible to have hired Capello in the first place. I do also see why they did it, though. I think they did it with good intentions, and as we know, the road to ruin is often paved with those. I just would like to see the Russian national team gain some more structure, because I think there is a potential there. And we saw it in Euro 2008 with with Arshavin and that team. I'm just not sure where the ladders are to get back to that position at this precise moment. Mm. Yeah, it is pretty fascinating. And obviously, uh, that leaves Russia on one point at the bottom of this group. England play Wales tomorrow. Uh, We will talk about that in just a second, Chris. Um, But obviously, we've seen every team play now at this point in the tournament. Um, uh, There's not uh, A lot of people are going to be screaming for us to talk about what's going on off the pitch, but there isn't really much to add uh, on that front. Uh, Russian fans, obviously, would flares in the crowd it doesn't look like UEFA are really going to punish them for that have you had sort of any views on that Chris I, I said this on uh, another podcast the other day just re- in relation to the fan violence in general I will never understand why people spend that much money to go and have a fight because I mean that's been what's that's really what has been fascinating about it isn't it Chris is that the analysis of Russia has been so layered with effectively people not really knowing anything about the culture and being able to understand Russia because it is such an anomaly as a culture. And I mean that in the most respectful sense, like that, you know, they're a very unique people. Um, Mm. And uh, a lot of it sort of comes from, uh, I think a a lot of people come from, especially Western media are coming from a sort of defensive standpoint for the England fans. I feel like there have been a lot of fans out there that have caused a lot of problems. Um, not least the journalists. Um, but, I mean, that's the issue, isn't it? Is that um, a lot of people almost want to feed into it at this point because there's a narrative that's been set and I think a lot of people are almost waiting for this. Especially some England... I think there will be some people from England who are drawn out there and it's sort of become an almost... This is a bit of a caricature and it's ruining a tournament and French cities for a lot of other people. The thing with Russia is I feel like from a cultural perspective we, we often tend to get a snapshot of the country. Yeah. I and mean, through, through Putin and the, the right-wing contingent that he has taken to the tournament, that is quite a, a strange snapshot. In terms of the, the fan violence, of course it's unfortunate. I also think that, again, 
in the widest picture of things, we're so desperate to, to talk about the dark side of football. And that's not to absolve anyone involved because it's a disgrace. It's not really also, football, though. It, 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 essentially, it's quite, under, it's quite weird, isn't it? Because it's not, these people are not involved with football apart from... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is almost another interest. It's a bit like me sort of saying, well, yeah, my carpentry is to do with my football. It's not really, it's just really that they associate with a specific colour or a specific badge. It's not, so it's not really cultivated through football. These are guys who go out into the forest and train and fight in the forest because that's what they've heard Polish fans do. And it's, Overall, it's just, it's so unusual. It is. It, it is in a lot of ways, and I, I see what you mean by that. I think the, the thing I find confusing is for as much castigation as we apply to those who, who don't adhere to the rules, we don't seem to give as much credit to those who do. So from watching, I've seen little snapshots of the, the Irish fans who, to a man, seem to have just been fantastic. The, the Republic of Irish fans are such a... Um, to a man have been fantastic and and really embraced the tournament in the right way and been actually very funny and very lighthearted with with the fans and the culture that they interact with. And mixed, essentially. Mm. And and I think that in itself is beautiful to see. The unfortunate thing is is that I I guess a, a consequence of news so often is to show you what's wrong with things, not what is right with things, because... you know we we both went to school for this stuff. It, it tends to be if it leads, it leads. That's an unfortunate yeah. consequence of, of media is that I couldn't imagine a prominent news outlet leading with, today some Irish fans sang to a man on a balcony. It might, it might end the program, it might be, and finally, but it's never been breaking. You know, do you know what I mean? It's, it's that of, there comes a point, I think, where... Do, well, do, you, do you think at all, Chris, um, that isn't dictated by the market of news and the fact that we don't really have anyone out there who's sort of trying to lead in a, a news driven sense. There is a kind of, um, uh, I want to be the first on the scene, you know, for instance, Stan, Stan Collymore was periscoping earlier today in the middle of a massive fight and sort of un, it, irresponsibly kind of in a way, helping the police, 
um, being somewhat, you know, you can hear England fans sort of shouting, Stan! You know, and sort of being a... Up the villa. A figurehead or something, something, if you like. And then at the same time, trying to be the first one there. And it seems as if people want to be the first ones to have an angle as opposed to the first ones to have correct information. I think that's one of the main issues is, is actually the problem is that these don't doesn't feel like very responsible reporting and i'm not saying there's anyone who's particularly being responsible right now i don't think the bbc have been particularly responsible i don't think anyone has but uh, that's the problem is that people almost want to feed into this the cycle of violence and they also want to feed into the cycle of discussion and um sort of having a product because actually it's way easier to sort of go oh look at that than hold on a minute there's some real issues here um, you know, we're hosting our next massive tournament in this country um, and there's issues with not only some of the fighting people but also the fact that it seems state-backed at times. Of, of course, I, I think there comes a point where we have to move past what is the, the superficial reading of this, which is some fans had a fight in, in France. That in itself is deplorable, fine. We then need to say, why are Russian officials coming out and condoning this? And saying it's okay, it's. it's if anything, they're encouraging it. I mean, just imagine, imagine if anyone had taken that angle from an English point of view. Well, I, I do believe David Cameron said he was notorious for doing that at Upton Park when he would go and watch the villa. Um, <laughs> but, but joking aside, I, I think you're spot on. The thing is, in, in some regard, the people who travel to these tournaments, they are representative of their countries in so many ways, and consequently, their governments, their higher-ups, they have to take responsibility for those actions. And when not only do they not take responsibility, they seem completely okay with it, that should unsettle us. Now, this is coming, I think, days after Sepp Blatter said in an interview that he was aware of one tournament in which the drawing was fixed, so the, the way in which the teams lined up in their groups. Yeah. I don't think it is a, a ridiculous jump to say that if that kind of thing is organized, where does that stop? Were the safety and security concerns of, of a tournament in Russia ignored and instead it was pitched as, well, you know, we need to take football to these dangerous places. We need to take it to situations where we're not always present so that we can include them in our global game. I think that's a wonderful sentiment. There also comes a point where I think those countries have to earn it and deserve it. And I, I'm not sure if Russia as a nation has done enough to earn and deserve a tournament uh, yeah I'm, I'm, it sort of almost caused me to fall out of love with football in a sense because you know i know it sounds very sort of sensational but I, I don't really have a love for drinking or fighting or a lot of the fan culture around it i do enjoy watching football however um I, you know i enjoy hanging out with friends i enjoy having jokes about football but i don't necessarily enjoy um the, the banter or any other sort of things um and especially not the, the fighting so this is sort of quite difficult to watch because actually it's taking away from some of the enjoyment of the tournament because actually you can imagine the small kids that go along to watch with their dads sort of being like, why are these men, why, why are these men doing this? Exactly. There's a generational thing as well. I mean, it is a much lesser example. I remember the first football game I ever went to, the first match, it was in what was the old Coca-Cola Cup and it was Newcastle against Bristol. And I, for a bit of background, I was raised in quite a traditional Catholic household, so swearing for the most part was, was not the done thing ever. I'd never heard my father swear, same with my mum. And I remember the guy next to me was swearing quite consistently. Again, that's par for the course at football. And like a, a naive child, I kind of said to my dad, Daddy's swearing a lot, like, 
because I had seen my dad tell people off in public if they would swear around me. And I remember he turned to me and said, look, it's okay to do it here, but you can't repeat it. And it's that kind of thing where, again, there are cultural norms in football and we are opening younger eyes to those cultures in general. And we have to decide what we want them to take away from it. And when we've got the opportunity to limit what they can see, I don't think you'll ever stop swearing at football, for example. I think you should do everything possible to stop even the remotest ounce of violence seeping into it. I, I think already we're on a fine line with the way that away and home fans react to each other and treat each other just in general week to week in, in the domestic league. The second that it, it seems even remotely normal or expected, for football fans to fight and throw chairs and throw bottles. I think we've lost a major cornerstone of the game, which is its inclusion. Mm. In, in the United States, the audience is very different in games compared to what I've experienced in Europe. There's a lot more families, there's a lot more kids. Part of that is because you don't have the swearing, you don't have any even remote chance of violence. I appreciate people who reject the notion of trying to move towards that because part of the fun of football is that kind of jovial frivolity. The, the fact you can be a little bit looser, and I'm, I'm very careful with which ice or which part of the lake I skate onto here. With that said, there is a line. Again, some of the funniest football chants I've ever heard have been at grounds and have had curse words in and all this kind of stuff. Mm. I also know that we, we simply can't, even for a second, look at violence in the same way and say, okay, this is going to happen, but if we can keep it away from the stadium, that's fine. No, we have to include everyone in this game, the people who do it properly, the idiots, everyone. And we have to make sure that no part of the, the body, if you will, is left untreated, that if something seeps into part of it, it's part of all of it, and we have to all focus on that. Yeah. A great point, guys. Let us know in the discussion uh, and you know through the normal channels at the front three on Twitter, obviously at K Hennage as well. Um, Chris, tomorrow England play Wales. Wales are all up giving it all that. England are sort of oh hello, uh, we're going to play. <laughs> they are, um, and I spoke to to Adam about this before in terms of doing a a preview for it. My concern with England in this game. <clears throat> excuse me, is that Roy Hodgson will not go with a forward two. Um, I, I, I can't see any other potential formation than that. I think if you go with um, if a front one, if you will, or just Harry Kane on his own, I think you open up England needlessly to uh, what will be a lot of sidewards and backwards passing, and also the counter-attack as a consequence of that, because Wales will sit deep. And as we've seen to a, a slight degree with their opener against Slovakia. Bale is not the only outlet they have in in terms of how robson Carney is exceptionally quick. And I think my big concern for England is Wales have three points, so they come into this with significantly less pressure than the England team do. And it's going to be a huge mental test for these players. Ignore any of the, the technical standpoints here. I really hope they come through it, and I hope, they actually go with the formation that was in Germany. If anything, just so that those sections of the England support who say this is how the team should line up get validation on either this is why it wasn't done or this is why it was done. Because at the minute, my concern is we'll see that same formation tried out 
we'll see a similar result and it will feel like another wasted opportunity. Mm. Are you a little bit worried that England essentially, this will be, this almost be like a, this is a cup tie essentially. Um, and that, that's part of the issue is that, you know, Wales got something to play up to and they're talking about the pressure is on on England, etc. Do you, do you see the merit in that? Because I, I mean, I certainly do. Of, of course, there is a feeling that this game is the game. You can't necessarily look at it that way. You have to take an, an element of game management to it and say there is the Slovakia game as well. England have a point. Again, Slovakia have three. You play Slovakia in the last game. So that would be, for me, what is looking like the definitive game. Mm. If, if, for argument's sake, say they lose to Wales, my team talk to the, to the England players at that point is, look, Slovakia is the important game because they're the ones we're vying for, in theory, for second place. So this is, that's the game that we have to win. No of course you're disappointed yeah. to, to lose to Wales. This is, again, it's another instance where Roy Hodgson has to, to manage the situation. Now, what has concerned me is to see Paul Sharner talk about him being the most negative coach in the world. And I like him. That's not to, true, is it? I mean, does it, well, he doesn't well, watch the Premier League. Well, I, I think, excuse me, you're right, I've misspoke there. He said he was the most defensive and negative coach he ever worked with. Interesting. Were his official words. Now, I said in another podcast that to me, Roy Hodgson is a little bit like Jurgen Klinsmann in the sense that when things are going right, the detractors can't really speak to it because they are getting results. When the results do disappear, in the case for, for England at the World Cup and now, in this albeit with two games to go, that's when the detractors come out and the stories about his time in Scandinavia and, and the anecdotes of him being an, you know, a, a, a negative coach and telling defenders, you know, why on earth are you trying to play out the bat? You should just be trying to get it as far up as you can and all this kind of stuff. That's when the perception is then trotted out. I think there needs to be a bit more consistency in that sense. I see why Hodgson makes some of the decisions he does. I also, against a team like Russia, for example, would like to have seen him be a bit more cavalier. It, it felt as if they were cavalier in spades and always at the wrong moments. There was no confidence in England is a very good team. We have very good players who yeah. play in one of the top leagues in Europe. We should be able to score two or three against this Russia side because, for a comparison, Slovakia did. Slovakia were quite comfortable to win. And granted, Russia came out slightly more than they did in the first game. There was enough opportunities in that Russia-England game for me to score more than one goal. And the thing I kept feeling or or noticing about those chances was if there'd been a second striker there, I think one or two of them goes in. That's the thing that I took away from it. If there's a Jamie Vardy there, if there's a Daniel Sturridge charging in at the back post for Deli Ali's missed chance in the first half, I think a goal goes in there. Mm. And the the same applies in the second half. It's, It's just someone to inhabit that that sort of number six spot, if you will. And I, I, I'm just surprised that, that Hodgson makes those decisions because for me, he had everything he needed in that team. And it just feels as if, as, as supposedly good as, as Wayne Rooney was the other day, it just feels as if they're holding on to him. And that, you know, they're, they're, fr- they're frightened to let go of the side of the pool, to use an analogy. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good analogy. Um, it could hinder England at this tournament. I think a lot of people are frustrated. It is difficult not to see England as somewhat bad guys at this tournament, though, now after this fighting, etc., and not being able to feel the synergy with their fans. You imagine uh, uh, You imagine that's difficult 
because you know those guys obviously believe they're playing for fans that they love but it's difficult when you see their fans portrayed in the wrong way that must be hard um let's move on to the next game uh, yeah we're gonna have to move on from that let's move on to the next game here chris ukraine versus northern ireland um northern ireland realize what they have to do in the second game they're speaking as if they're moving on as a side and you know essentially they're saying we're getting we're moving on from the last result moving forward and feel that we can beat ukraine do you think that's possible I think it is. Uh, there was there was enough within that game for me personally to say that Ireland have potential game changers to score and then take a step back and say, okay, we've got this lead, we can't let go of it. They don't seem to think, hang on, think how nervous the team that we're facing are, think how desperate they're going to be to try and get back into that game. Let's exploit the holes and the gaps that they leave. Um, it's it's a it's a curious development in that sense. I think you just have to take more chances. That, that's what it is. You have to, to be willing to try and score two. That's that's the theme of the tournament for me, is too many teams are just trying to score one instead of trying to score two. Yeah, good point. And finally, Chris, Germany-Poland. Uh, no history in this uh, in this tie. Just, uh, just normal football. <laughs> um yeah, let's let's not touch on the history. I wasn't the best at that in school. Well, I mean that that, that is that's what's un- unusual here is that actually the team who have come to this tournament thinking and being most focused on the now uh, aren't Russia or England. Uh, it's Germany, and actually, you know, as much as there's history between these two countries, Germany have started Polish strikers. Um, it you know very recently. I mean, you know, we see. Uh, I think we see Podolski, we saw a couple of other uh, good Polish players playing for Germany over the last few years. And Germany have been the ones that have tried to move on, on from that. They're not the fans singing offensive songs. They're, they're not the ones referencing the war. Granted, because that, that country was the country that was seen to have lost out from that. But this generation is not the same generation that lost out. So it's sort of difficult, isn't it? Because actually you, you, you don't need to reference that. It's almost irrelevant in a sense to the players out on the pitch, at least. No, I see, I see exactly what you mean. I, I think the Polish team is a very functional team in the sense that I think it has tremendous balance. So the, the midfield duo of uh, Krzysztof and, and Zelensky, one is a defensively minded one who wants to break things up. Zelensky is someone who wants to put his foot on the ball. I think the thing with him in Liverpool is, is quite bizarre to watch personally, but that's a, a digression for another time. They've also got two very serviceable wingers. They've got two strikers that I think play well together. I think Milik works well around Lewandowski. Germany don't have that balance. They don't have that functionality. That I would say they don't really have quality fullbacks in this tournament. And yet it didn't seem to hamper them dramatically in their opening game. So if, let's say, Yogi Lowe decides to put uh, Emre Chan in it right back, which is a very uh, likely option, I still feel as if Germany will perform. I still feel as if they'll be okay. And that in itself is, is an interesting development for Germany because, again, for, for so long now they were seen as the team to, to model yourself on, um, the team that built themselves back up. And, you know, you've got Raphael Honigstein's very good book, Das Boot, which is, or Das Reboot, excuse me, um, which is a, a really good read if, if anyone is, you know, stuck with what to do with a book, book token, um, assuming they still do those. He says, "Aging himself." I guess um, you could you could get a, a discount code. Yeah, it's yeah. probably all gift cards now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, God, I'd be gutted if I got a ten pound W H Smith gift card right now. It was the thing back in the day, though, wasn't it? When you were a kid, yeah. um, go to W H Smith, school. buy a book. Yeah, um, 
so, so I think Germany can take a lot of confidence from that, which is impressive given that when they were entering this tournament, there wasn't a lot of confidence around them. Hmm. If anything, the talk was, yes, they've got a good spine, the likes of Neuer, Boateng, Kedira, Muller. But if one of them gets injured, where's the depth? And actually, I think if, if, you, know, if you had to give Julian Weigel a, a more uh, responsibilities, a more important role, I, I don't think he would shrink from it. I think he's someone that actually would, would relish that opportunity. Because again, this is a kid who was made captain of 1860 Munich at 18 years old. Now, the coach at the time said he did that to kind of mature him. I can very much believe that, and I think it shows through in his play. Now, he's only, I think he's only 20 now, actually, so he's not, he's not drastically old. He's very much, um, in fact, there was a, a wonderful phrase in the German newspaper clip saying he'd taken a taxi to the limelight with yes. his move to Dortmund, um, which I think is a beautiful way to put it, and it's true as well. I could see him very easily transitioning to that next stage in the same way that we've seen in Golo Kante, move effortlessly between can to Leicester and their uh, ambitions and, and achievements to then the French national team and their achievements and ambitions. Mm. Yeah, and I I think that boards well for Germany just in in the long run. I think there's a mentality bred into them that says we are winners, and when you have that, I think you've always got an opportunity to do something at a tournament. Winners, and for very different reasons to the way that they were winners maybe in previous years. Um, yeah. Uh, do you see Germany taking that game? Obviously, Poland are four years more mature than they were uh, when they hosted their own tournament and essentially collapsed out of that one because of the pressure. Um, they're going to feel they can trouble that back line with Lewandowski because of what he's done this season. But it's it's very clear that you know Lowe is Lowe is sort of feeling confident about this this tournament, isn't he? Mm. I can I can see why. Um, again, yeah. that embarrassment of riches. The, 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 the spine of the team is still world class it, it just is um, I think Boateng has got better since the World Cup personally I think Muller is the, the pinnacle of consistency interesting to see Kadira in there isn't it because obviously you know, he's been out of the limelight he's been injured for a, a, a lot of that time between the two World Cups well that's the thing I, th- I think with Kadira as you said there in the, in the question it's largely been a case of he's just been injured it's it's not a case of always oh, a, a bad player by any stretch it's just he gets injured so so that's unfortunate i don't think that hampers a player's quality mm-hmm. um and and when you have players like that again it in some ways to draw that comparison to albania it's it's fine lines you're resting on you're 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 resting on the fact that you need your players to stay fit you could apply that to many teams though that's the difference um but i think yeah i think germany can win this but I would caveat that for anyone who's looking to put money out and say my predictions for tournaments have been absolutely atrocious uh, Chris uh, let's let's finish off now uh, what are you saying uh, who, what's been your moments of the tournament so far I quite liked Pae's goal in the first game um, because for me it felt like just a little bit of redemption for him because again when he was a, a youngster he was quite immature he was at Le Havre went back home uh, to Reunion, which is also the home of Lauren Robert. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he had kind of a, a discussion with his family and decided, look, I'm going to go back and try again with Nance. And he said that it was partly because his father never made it past playing on Reunion, which is somewhere that he played for a brief spell when I think he was like 16. Mm. 
he then has the inconsistency with the French national team that sees him dropped. That's, that is very much an important part of his career. And to then see him get to, to score in their opener at home during what is an important tournament for that team, I think that's a lovely moment of redemption in the same way that he got to do it again in Marseille, in the Stade Velodrome. It's, it's, for, for all we talk about what's been wrong with this tournament, sometimes it's just nice to sit back and say, I bet he felt great doing that. Chris, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast tonight. If people want to go find your work, which is obviously Copper America based, but also European most of the time, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all of those modern social media type places. Go and type in Chris Hennage. You can't miss him. You'll, you'll see his link on most of the front three podcasts. Uh, and he's just a fantastic journalist. People love having him on. Uh, Chris, enjoy the States. And guys, enjoy the rest of the tournament. Go enjoy uh, everything else on our YouTube channel, etc. You can find us at the front three, the numeral three. Normal service will probably be resumed tomorrow. Don't forget to hit up the, uh, the Facebook and obviously the YouTube as well. And we'll see you again real soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. TF3.